when we come now to the Word. So if you turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 16, and we're looking this morning from verse 29 through to verse 33. You'll find it on page 903 in the church Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay, don't worry. I'll read it out uh, for us. And um, we're now, as I mentioned, in the last, in our current section of John's Gospel. And we've been looking at this series on the theme of, I wish I'd asked that. There's a series of questions that the disciples are asking Jesus. And you look at those questions, you think, I wish, I wish I'd had the opportunity to ask that. But now, they don't think they've got any more questions. They think they're done. They think they've got it. And yet, as we'll see, there's a sense in which they haven't. And the thrust of this passage, Jesus ends with this saying, take heart, for I have overcome the world. The thrust of this passage, take heart, or have courage, so it could also be, uh, uh, be put, have courage, that's the thrust of the passage. And so the, the, how do I find courage? And what I've been, as I've been praying about this sermon, as I've been studying, teach my heart to love your word, as I've been studying uh, God's word for us this morning, my prayer has been that God, through our gathering together, through this time around the Word, that God would use His Word to accomplish that which it was intended, which is here, I believe, to give you courage in the sense of encouragement. You know, the encouragement has courage in the middle of it. And so my, my prayer is that none of us, no one here, will leave this morning without, without having had an opportunity to receive from Jesus spiritually the courage, the encouragement that you need. So let's listen to God's Word. John chapter 16, verse 29. His disciples said, Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you'll be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me, You may have peace. In the world, you have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. This is God's word. Amen. Do please sit down. How do I find courage? How do I find the encouragement that I need? Maybe you're someone who's not feeling as if you need much encouragement this morning. Things are going well. It's, it's a good day. It's been a good weekend. Um, your family's doing fine. Your job is fine. You, perhaps you, you did well at Wheaton College. You're graduating, and this is a, this is a good day. You don't, you don't feel like you need a lot of encouragement. You're pretty, pretty buoyed up already. The, the wind is in your sails, and you feel like life is pretty much plain sailing. Things are going well. It's pretty smooth. On the other hand, You may be here this morning really feeling like you need some encouragement. Perhaps your family is not doing so well. You know, we're celebrating mothers, and yet perhaps um, you're confused about 
your own relationship with your own mother, or you wish you had children and you don't, or you wish your children were doing better than they are. And so you, you, you come here, and it may not just be circumstantial, it may be even something internal that, that, um, that you are feeling, there's a mental, you just don't, you feel discouraged, even though things externally, if people look to your life, they think you'd have every reason to be encouraged, but internally, you don't feel that. So as I said, so at the beginning, I believe this passage is designed to give us courage. Jesus says, take heart, or be encouraged. And my goal is that you would experience that spiritually this morning. Now, there's a huge need for that kind of encouragement today. Uh, Jordan Peterson, the uh, well-known Canadian psychologist, is going around in many ways, all over the world, to huge audiences, giving people courage. In fact, he has a, a motif for that. It's a lobster. And he's described how, in his view, the biochemical realities of a lobster and the brain have some similarity to human brains at a sort of fundamental level. And he's described how lobsters, when they're feeling courage, when they're feeling strong, kind of stand up straight. And so he's, he's, he's telling people that they need to, as it were, stand up straight, to actually physically stand up straight and therefore they'll feel encouraged, it will affect you biochemically in some way or other. And maybe, maybe Jordan Peterson is right about that, I don't know. But I do know it's deeper than that. That there is a need for spiritual courage today. If you're graduating from Wheaton College, if you're a mother, if you're a father, if you're a teenager, there's a need for encouragement. Where does it come from? Where do we get this? Take heart! You can do it! Go for it! Be bold and courageous. Don't be frightened. Don't be afraid. Where does that come from? Well, here in this passage, John, I think, has structured this to lead up to this giving of Jesus, giving to us, take heart, on these three ways. First, there's faith. Then there's realism. And then there's power that comes from Jesus. Faith, realism, and power. The faith is in the beginning of the passage, uh, verses uh, 29 and 30. And there you can see, it, it feels as if, the, the disciples seem as if they, they've got it. They, 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 they're there. Now, now, now we understand. Uh, now we've, we've got it. You're, you're, you're no longer speaking figuratively. That is, you're no longer using different picture language. It's not complicated anymore. It's not metaphorical. You're speaking plainly. And to some extent, that's true. Jesus is speaking more plainly now. And so, it seems clearer to them, but, but now they're super confident, and they think they've got it, and they think they believe, and they think they've got it nailed. It's almost like, yeah, okay, Jesus, we got this, we're there. And yet, Jesus, in the very next verse, will say, do you now believe? Really? Have you really got it? How about you? Do you believe? Really? It's easy, isn't it? In a place like Wheaton, with you know Wheaton College, with Wheaton Christian Grammar, with these private Christian 
schools around, with all the heritage of biblical Christianity around this town. It's easy, isn't it, to, to go up through the church, to be taught in Sunday school as a child about Jesus, and then one, at one level to have all the right answers. Yeah, you can, you can tell, you know, you know the basic parts of the gospel. Jesus came at you know, Christmas, he came, he, he died, you know, Good Friday, he rose again Easter Sunday, he's coming back, and so you've got that. You've got it. But, but let me ask this. Do you believe? Can you actually tell? How, can you give testimony? Can you tell a story of how Jesus has encountered you? so easy, isn't it, to hide behind the kind of, yeah, I believe because I know these things, but do you know him? Really? Do you, do you really believe? We can do this in all sorts of ways. One sort of humorous illustration, I think, comes from North Korea. Now, North Korea is not humorous in any way whatsoever. It's a dictatorship. All sorts of horrible things are going on there. But the, the, the overwhelming pride of some of the leaders there sometimes becomes humorous. And there is a place for laughing at that kind of thing. It's like, this is so ridiculous. And uh, the, uh, the grandfather of the current leader was a man called Kim Jong-sun. And in 1994, so in, in North Korea, you know, the, the, the leader is almost like a demigod. God, he's almost kind of worshipped in a sense, and, and in 1994, Kim Johnson decided that he was going to play golf, golf, he never played before, and those of you who've ever played golf will realize that it's not an easy game, and if, you've, if you just play golf for the first time, that will humble you, if nothing else will, I mean, it's a pretty difficult game, and um, to achieve par on golf, that's good, to get under par, that's really good. And, and people can play golf their whole lives and never get a hole in one. Well, there's Kim Johnson, and he decides he's going to hit a round of golf. Never played before. And the news story about uh, his uh, round of golf in 1994 is the following. He, he played his first ever round of golf and hit 38 under par. And got 11 holes in one. And the bit that, you know, when I was, came across this, the bit that really amused me was that uh, Kim Jong-sun, having conquered golf, decided that he would retire from the game forever. <laughs> I was like, do you really believe? It's like, yeah, I got it. Really? Can you tell a story of how Jesus has encountered you, and maybe the reason why you don't have spiritual courage or encouragement is because you need to actually commit your life to him, and he, you need to actually know him, and not just know about him. You say, well, how does that happen? Well, this, I'm glad you're here. So, so I'm praying that there'll be no one who will leave this morning without an opportunity to receive spiritual encouragement. So it's faith, but then it's also realism. And uh, the realism is in the middle portion of this passage. It, it runs from verses 31 to 32 there. And Jesus kind of pulls them up short. Do you now believe? And then he, he, he do you really believe? And then he tells them what's actually going to happen. No, actually, you're going to be scattered. So even, even the best disciples can, can mess up at times. 
Even the apostles, they're scattered. And he says, you're going to leave me all alone. And then he kind of steps back and gives some theology for them. Well, actually, I'm never alone because the Father's always with me. So God, in his very essence, in his nature, we believe, because the Bible teaches us, is love. You cannot be love without loving something. And so God, in his very nature, is a trinity, is triune. This is why the Christians, unlike other religions, the Christians believe that God is trinity. One of the reasons is because we believe that God is love. And you cannot actually believe that God is love from all eternity unless you believe there's someone for him to love. And so in his very essence, God the Father loves the Son and the Spirit, as it were, is the love that glues the, the trinity together. He's love. He's never alone. Never alone. He's love. But then there's this reality about about us. (laughs) You know, we're not God. We do mess up. We do make mistakes. You know, I'm a sinner. I make mistakes. No one looks shocked. (laughs) We all do. It's so important to have this realism because otherwise we can live in sort of fake bubbles of pseudo-piety without actual community. You know, the the church is not perfect. If you're you're going around looking for a perfect church, you're on on a quest that that you'll never achieve. If you, if you find a perfect church, don't join it. You'll only spoil it, you know. And the church is not perfect. The pastors are not perfect. The elders are not perfect. The deacons are not perfect. Your small group is not perfect. In fact, the more you get to know the people in your small group, you're probably going to be, yeah, amen, I believe. They're not perfect. Your adult community, your Sunday school is not perfect. Why? Because church is a hospital for sinners. They're scattered. It's actually not just that they're not perfect. They, they leave Jesus. I mean, this is, this is a huge thing. So we believe doctrinally, when you become a Christian, you're born again, you're given a new nature, but you're not yet in heaven. You still are tempted, and this side of heaven, you will still sin. He who says he has no sin deceives himself, and the truth is not in him. Realism. It's hugely important on Mother's Day. You know, we put pressure on mothers and fathers, parents in general, to you know, train up a child in the way he or she should go, and then when he is old, he will not depart from it. Absolutely true. Normally, that's the way it works. But there are things that you cannot arrange, namely grace. You can train your child, but grace is the sovereign work of Christ by his Spirit. It's the gift of God. It's in his gift, not yours. And if, you, if your children grow up all to follow Jesus, don't praise yourself, praise God. And if one or two of them don't follow Jesus, don't beat yourself up. Leave it in the sovereign hands of God if you've got a prodigal, someone who isn't yet following Jesus. You know, Ruth Bell Graham, uh, the um, 
wife of the famous evangelist Billy Graham wrote a book about some of the difficulties of parenting. And at one point she has a phrase in it, which I think is very helpful, where she says, mothers, talking mothers in particular, mothers should aim to do the possible, but leave in God's hands the impossible. It's God's grace. This is what drives us to our knees as parents. Lord, would you please intervene? Now, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he should not depart from it. Yet, do Bible study at home. Yet, do prayer at home. It will make a huge difference, massive difference. You know, there's statistics out there that that, uh, going on for years. The most recent one is from Harvard, a survey of of what makes families thrive. And it shows that that there's a 50% decrease in divorce in families that go to church regularly, regularly meaning at least once a week, sometimes twice a week. 50% decrease. If you really build in your home the altar of God and are committed to Christ and his people, you will be far less likely to have difficulty at home. But we still have to be real about it. We still have to be real about it. And if we're not, you know, I've seen so many crazy stuff in Christian families when they're not real about some of the difficulties they face. I remember, I mean, this is just, this is, this actually, I I was there when this happened. I remember a a, a sort of a grandparent figure trying to give advice to younger mothers about how to control their children when they go to church events. You've ever been to a church event and it's your child that's running around? Yeah? You ever been there? And so she was trying to say, look, this is, this is the way you do it. Okay, this is her advice. Before you go, find something that they're doing wrong. Of course, a child's always doing something wrong. Find something they do wrong and then spank them. And then they'll behave well at the church event. It's like, you, no kidding. I called it the preemptive spanking technique. Your children are not going to be perfect. You know why? You're not. And so there needs to be this, this earnest desire to do everything we can to train up the children in the way they should go. But at the same time, a relief and a release from the huge, frankly, legalistic pressure to just be like, yeah, I've got to be perfect. Who are you kidding? Not God. Jesus says, no, actually you're all going to be scattered. And yet he's in charge. And yet he gives courage, which is the goal of this text and the goal of the sermon. So we go then to so faith, realism, and then uh, power. Power, which is the last uh, verse in, uh, in the passage. Verse 33. And there Jesus is just absolutely, I mean... Obviously, he's the Lord Jesus, but I'm just blown away whenever I look at the way, carefully, the way he teaches. It's just absolutely brilliant. If you, if you want an advocacy, an apologetic for Jesus being God, just look carefully at the way he teaches. It just blows your mind. So what does he do? Well, it's a, it's a both and. It's what I call stereo listening. You know, stereo, you've got a, like a, a, a bass track coming from one speaker and then maybe a guitar riff coming from another stereo, okay? So on the one hand, one, one speaker, on the one hand, Jesus is saying, you're going to have trouble in this world. This is the realism. You're going to have trouble in this world. You know, Jesus never did what so many preachers do. 
which is tell people that if they follow Jesus, all their problems are going to go away. No, they're not. You're going to have trouble in this world. Everyone's going to have trouble in this world because that's the kind of world we live in. We live in a world of pain and difficulty. I mean, that, that's the human experience because of sin and the rebellion against God. Our world is messed up and there is, there's beauty and there's brutality and, and that's the reality. I mean, even the Buddha said life is suffering and, and there's far more to life than that, but he's true about that aspect of it. That's the common human experience. But then when you follow Jesus, then you're pressing against the world system. And, and things can be really hard for you. You know, you, people don't want you to follow Jesus. They don't want you to not sleep around. They, they, they don't want you to be pure in your thought life and have a marriage that sticks together. They don't want you to invest in your children. They want you to invest in your career. And you're pushing against all these things. And there can be trouble. You'll have trouble in this world. That's one, on the one hand, this stereo listening, the speaker. But then on the other hand, he says, but in me, you'll have peace. Why? Take heart or be encouraged or have courage. I have overcome the world. Now, here's a temptation for a preacher to to use spiritual slogans or cliches. There are all these spiritual slogans or cliches these days, aren't there? You know, let go and let God, whatever that means. And, 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 you know, what would Jesus do? The answer to what would Jesus do would be, you know, walk on water or heal the sick or raise the dead, which is something I, I, I usually don't do on Monday morning. And, and, you know, what would Jesus do if he had to pay his taxes? Well, apparently he'd, you know, fi- he'd go fishing and get a fish out of the lake and then put out of the mouth a, a, a coin and pay the temple tax, which, you know, would be nice, but you'd have to be a huge fish to pay the taxes in Illinois, I think. But... It's a temptation for spiritual sloganing and cliches. We've done the realism thing. We don't want to do that. So here the word overcome has a sense of victory to it. And the word victory is related to the word that's used by Nike. It's the Nike word. So here's a cliche, you know, Jesus just did it. So you can just do it. I mean, that will preach. Um, but it's, it's, not, it's not a cliche. It's a spiritual power. What is that? Well, so um, uh, in England, a, uh, one of the lesser known but very influential godly Christian leaders now gone to heaven, sort of grand figure of the, of the evangelical movement in some ways, at least one portion of it, uh, was a man whose name, who was, had a nickname. He mentored many well-known Christian leaders who mentored many other people. And he was kind of always in the background, never wanted to be kind of front and center, but very influential. And his, his nickname was Bash because he had so much courage, Bash. And um, Bash uh, would go around giving talks to teenagers. And uh, this was his ministry, uh, ministering to teenagers. And he had a particular talk about courage that those, you know, who were influenced by him would relate to others like me about this kind of talk. And the talk was on Daniel, who in the Old Testament, of course, a great figure of courage, dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone, dare to have a purpose firm, dare to make it known, this courageous figure, Daniel. But Bash would teach on Daniel and say, this is, this is the way you get courage. What did Daniel do? Daniel purposed, this is the real commitment of faith, not 
fake faith, faith and realism, the real faith. He purposed. He made a commitment. He purposed. And then Daniel prayed. Because it comes through, Jesus says, take heart. It's in him. We need his power. He prayed. Purpose prayed, and then he prospered. Not materially, of course, not materialistically, but prospered in the sense of being all that you are meant to be and having the courage that you need, the heart that you need, the encouragement you need to do what it is that God has called you to do. Prospered, pray, uh, uh, prospered because pray, because purposed. And I want no one to leave this morning without the opportunity to make that commitment and to pray that prayer, to have that heart, that courage from Jesus himself. Let me leave you uh, with this, because I don't want it to be, I don't want it to be simplistic. So, um, one of the great hymn writers was a poet called William Cooper. He's written some very well-known hymns, some which we still sing. William Cooper was also a really gifted poet and was kind of like a bridge figure between Alexander, in the English language between Alexander Pope and then the Romantics, uh, Coleridge and Wordsworth as William Cooper. William Cooper was also a follower of Jesus and a Christian. And William Cooper was also, throughout much of his life, went through seasons of great depression. We don't know exactly why. He tells us that his mother died when he was six and he reflects on that loss a lot. We also know that when he was at school, he was very seriously bullied. He says at one point that uh, the article of clothing with which he was most familiar of his bully was the bully's shoe buckle because he was kicked so often. When William Cooper was in his 20s, he got a preferment, an opportunity for a huge job in London. And, but it was, you know, for such a job, you're going to be grilled, you're going to be interviewed pretty seriously. And he was, something about it he couldn't face up to, and, and he had a major depressive um, episode. He went to a little village in England called Olney. Olney was where a pastor was preaching and shepherding a man called John Newton, famous for the hymn Amazing Grace, and also famous for launching the anti-slavery movement of people like William Wilberforce, and William Cooper was also anti-slavery, and in fact wrote a sonnet praising William Wilberforce for standing firm against all the accusations he was having in support of that movement. And John Newton shepherded and cared for many, many people of the evangelical generation at the time, particularly uh, I'm thinking, we're thinking of William Cooper, including William, William Cooper. And while William Cooper was there, they, they, together, Newton and him, put together a hymn book that was called The Only Hymns. And one of those hymns gave us the phrase, God moves in a mysterious way. But the, the hymn goes on, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps upon the sea, and rides upon the storm. And William Cooper wrote that hymn. We don't exactly, I try to figure out exactly the sequence of events, and I don't know, maybe someone knows, but it was around the time when he was going through another serious depressive situation. 
as he wrote that hymn. And there's another verse in it where he says this, Ye ye fearful saints, saints being real Christians, people with real faith, you fearful saints, fresh courage take. Receive it, take it. Fresh courage take. The clouds you so greatly fear will break with fresh blessings on your head. And that's, my, that's been my prayer for you this week. The, the, the clouds you so much fear will break with fresh blessings of courage, encouragement. Whether you're a mother, father, graduate, on your head. Let me leave you with this because we're going to sing a really well-known Luther hymn in just a moment. And Martin Luther, when he was reflecting on Jesus' famous words about those who have this real faith, that Jesus says, you know, well done, good and faithful servant, come and enter your rest. And Luther's reflecting on the phrase faithful and thinks about how you translate it back into the Hebrew. And if you translate it back into the Hebrew, it's related to our word amen. And what Luther says there is that the faithful ones, those of real faith, are the amen lute or the amen people or the yes to God people. Is that going to be you? Will you receive this word from Jesus? Take heart, his power. So I'm going to pray now. And as I pray, I guess most of us will have our eyes shut. But I wonder... I want those of you who want this courage, this encouragement, right where you are, to stand as a way of saying to God, yeah, Lord, would you please give me the courage I need, the encouragement I desperately need this morning, and uh, and then I'll be praying for us all, but for you especially. So let's pray together, and if you especially want this touch of God to have this courage, will you stand right where you are, and so that uh, you can receive it. Oh, Lord God, we do pray for all those here, but for all of us to receive your spirit, your encouragement. I pray particularly for those who are standing. You know what they're facing, whether it's something mental or emotional, or whether it's a... uh, 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 just a discouraging work situation or some challenges at home or whether there's a great need for bravery with all the difficulties in this world, the need for people to stand up for what is right. Lord, here you say, take heart, be encouraged. I've overcome the world. I pray, Lord, would you give uh, these men and women, boys and girls, your courage, your encouragement that they would follow you with fresh zeal and commitment and freedom. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.